0: Welcome to Brilliant, the podcast with a French accent, which gives a voice to women who move the lines. My name is Jeanne Dussartel, and between Zurich, where I live, and Paris, where I come from, my goal is to meet the sparkling, powerful, talented, and inspiring women with their typical backgrounds and beautiful projects, to understand what drives them and makes them move forward. Discussions that I hope will encourage you to think outside the box, cross your boundaries, and develop your own brilliant projects. She's not the kind of woman who goes unnoticed. When I met her already a year and a half ago at an event dedicated to women and business, I was struck by her ability to bring people together, by her enthusiasm and charisma. She was leading a workshop on women and negotiation, her passion, her lifelong obsession. Every day, Viz Bradby has made it her mission to empower women on the workplace. She helps dozens of them to negotiate for a raise, a new position, or better payment for the services.
1: Price and value are connected in people's heads. If your services are priced too low, we literally think, it can't be that good. Whereas if they're priced you know, assertively, as I like to call it, we tend to assume oh, it must be really good.
0: With a beautiful deep voice this tells me a story from a top lawyer in Amsterdam to global HR director in Hong Kong for a billion dollar company she recounts me how through her professional experiences she became aware of the need for women to learn to negotiate on their own behalf and to value themselves among their peers with a heart heating speech and a lot of numbers to back it up The Dutch woman shows me how the art of negotiation can serve the cause of feminism and create a virtuous circle, not only for us, women, but also for our companies.
1: It's very expensive to lose people. It's very expensive to lose good people. It costs a company between 100 and 400% of somebody's annual salary to replace that person.
0: In this discussion, you will learn about the fundamentals of negotiation, the most important things you need to know before knocking on your bus door. Together, we also discuss about the future of work, startups, but also about couples, education, commitment, sorority and sisterhood, as always. Apologies already, sometimes the sound could have been a bit better. We were sitting outside on a terrace that wasn't as quiet as expected but the subject is crucial. This is absolutely convincing, and I promise, the discussion has the potential to really change the way you look at your job. So as usual, I encourage you to plug in your headphones and to get yourself, be empowered. Dear Vis, many thanks for accepting my invitation. And finding the time in between all your meetings here on a Sunday afternoon in Zurich when you don't even live in Zurich anymore.
1: Indeed. Um, I'm super happy to be here and a testament to your awesome initiative to do this uh, podcast series um, that I'm here. I wanted to be a part of it.
0: (laughs) Super nice. To start with, I wanted to know when I told you about my, the name of my podcast, Brilliant, Brilliant, Sparkling Mm -hmm. Woman, who have you been thinking about or what have you been thinking? Do you have an example maybe of a sparkling woman oh. that you have in your surroundings? Uh, so many! If yeah. you have to pick one. That oh you god. Can...
1: Oh, don't make me do this. I have to pick one? Just yeah. one? That's a That feels like a trick question. <laughs> I honestly, I would struggle
0: to pick just one. Um, it can be in your surroundings or someone like that's really far away.
1: Oh you man! Know that you yeah, have like no, a- you're making it worse now. Now I have to pick from even more. <laughs> I'm only kidding. <laughs> Could be uh, your mother. Good. Could
0: be. Uh, I've always said man. my
1: mom is my big hero, and she totally is. So that's that kind of goes without saying. Um, she is such a freaking badass. However, the person who immediately came to mind is also the person I'm meeting today, uh, which feels slightly incestuous. But I'm going to use her as an example anyway because she really did come to mind first. Her name is Priyanka, and she's a friend of mine, and. She is just one of those people that lights up the room and the world, basically. Um, and she's also a badass that's doing a great job navigating both, you know, having having a young family and kicking ass in her career and then always being her there for her friends. She's just one of those freaking wonderful people. What Love is her. she doing in life? Kind of different things. She's now working in the startup scene, but... Really, bringing a lot of creativity and her brilliant mind, because she genuinely is one of the most internet, intelligent people I know, and bringing all of that to create basically a better world. Love her, love you, pre pre pre. <laughs>
0: Okay, I want to meet her. She's um, awesome. We have just been through a huge crisis with the COVID nineteen. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure the crisis is finished actually. The situation is still going on, yeah. and I wanted to know what have you been learning during this crisis? What what will you take out from this time?
1: I oh so much, uh, so many lessons. I think there's two things that immediately jump to mind. One is uh, personal, the other one is more kind of professional. Starting with the latter, I have seen and I've been saying and actually yelling at people for a very long time how flexible working setups bring out the best in people. My whole sort of premise, the work that I do, I work with clients, I teach them, um, female clients, I teach them negotiation skills in their careers. And one of the things that comes up time and time again is the need for flexibility and I'm a big fan of that not just because of how it makes, you know, my clients' lives easier, but also because what I see happen in them is that when they are in a situation that basically they they are in a setup, let's put it that way, where they can do their best work, i.e. for them that might be through flexible work arrangements, right? <laughs> they actually do really awesome work like they do better work because they're in a position to freaking shine right coming back to your brilliant uh name and you saying um, that
0: the world is really i mean the corporate world is going to change
1: yes. after this yes yes because what i've been saying and a lot of people have been saying right that flexible work uh setups do work that when you have somebody working from home it doesn't mean they slack off it doesn't mean they're lounging about in their pjs all day although nothing against that as long as you're doing work right but you see what i mean like it's that flexible work or working from home or working different times whatever that that works and it works great Been saying that for a long time, and now it's like all those meetings that were always needed to be face-to-face, right? All that face time that you needed to put in from 9 to 5, turns out it isn't necessary. Turns out people are doing fantastic work from home. Turns out we are actually capable, we can be trusted to do awesome work, right? And so I'm loving that, that the world was, or the corporate world I should say, was forced into this situation and has kind of learned the lesson that we naturally knew before. That is a big thing. And the other thing that I've learned personally is that I make an awesome team together with uh, my husband in sort of working together, which is something that I didn't think a few years ago at all in any way, shape or form. And being in a fairly small home office, sitting opposite each other on one desk... And 14 screens that he needs for some reason um, turned out to be fine. It turned out to be fine, which was like a massive surprise and something that I'm incredibly proud of and incredibly happy with. And we're like moving forward in so.
0: The harmony in your couple.
1: Yeah, I didn't quite see that. I mean, I still joke and then I'm very serious when I say um, we can't even cook a meal together like we 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 are both freaking stubborn and do each other's heads in but it turned out that working together was actually yeah more than fine it was it was cool it was really good very nice to
0: hear so to understand a bit more who you are I'm going to start with the beginning your origins I would Mm. like to know where were you born and how was it to be born there Mm. to be
1: raised there I was born in the Netherlands in a tiny village uh, just below uh, Rotterdam. Don't recall much from that time because we moved when I was about five years old to another place in the Netherlands, Bussum to be precise, near Amsterdam. People always go, is it near? Yes, it's near Amsterdam. (laughs) Everybody can relax now. Um, And yeah, so I was born there. I was the third of... Three children, so the youngest one in a wonderful family. I'm a very, very lucky, lucky person to have grown up where I have. Yeah. And
0: what was your dream when you were small? What did you want to become?
1: I wanted to be a lawyer fairly quickly, fairly soon. I was always talking to, kind of advocating for others and making points. And I'm, as I said, a very stubborn person. So that kind of all worked together quite well. And when I was still fairly young, I read a book called Getting to Yes, which is the standard work on negotiation. And uh, that kind of shifted my whole world. And that made it very clear that that sort of vague dream that I had of this this kind of advocacy work that I was doing, that that was uh, something that... I could do, like, for reals, that that was, like, a career, or you could potentially make a career out of that. So so
0: your negotiation, your passion for negotiation started, like, really early, yeah. actually.
1: Yeah, I remember when I was, I think I was 12 or 13, when I just hit high school, for one of my classes, we had to do, like, a presentation, but then rather than, it wasn't really a presentation on the subject, you had to take a stance, and you had to argue for and against the same statement. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. You I loved, loved it. That. <laughs> I loved it. It was fantastic. And so you
0: are naturally a good speaker, like a good public speaker.
1: I don't, I don't know about that, but I, I just know that I really loved the argument. I don't know what that, what you make of that, but I really liked the, the sort of intellectual challenge of arguing both in favor of something and against something, and kind of the, the yeah, the intellectual exercise behind that, and then winning people for the case yes was was very exciting so i guess in that sense it was a natural progression to go into law which i ended up doing through after law school you yeah. get you
0: went to a big law firm yeah. from the netherlands mm-hmm. and i wanted to know have you actually been negotiating in the beginning
1: yeah yeah like everybody is I'm not special in that. Uh, You don't have to be a lawyer to be negotiating all day every day in your job as well, right? I think there isn't a job in this world. There isn't a person in this world who doesn't negotiate on a daily basis. I guess it's a little bit more pronounced in the role of a lawyer because then you, you know, it's it's kind of like an official part of your job description, so to say. Uh, So that's definitely been a part right from day one i I've got plenty of criticism for my old firm, but one of the good things that they do is that they really take you seriously from day one. It isn't like i I hear in some countries right, and I've had exposure to this that in some countries when you are a baby lawyer that you you know you you basically make a lot of coffee and do a lot of printing and and kind of like you know be a helper to the real you know lawyers in the firm. Uh, whereas in my firm, it was very different uh, from day one. You were taken very seriously from day one. You were like all hands on deck and really thrown into it. So that was very much my experience. Yeah.
0: But I heard that you were not negotiating your salary.
1: No.
0: And you were not negotiating. Yeah. You just received your... Bill.
1: I was made a. I was made an offer. I was very grateful for it because it was a ton of money. And it was the best firm in my country. So I was... Yeah, I was not going to negotiate. I, I didn't realize that that was expected or that it was possible it didn't even cross my mind.
0: Yeah. And what did it change in your career there? You stayed there 5 years. Hmm. If you had been negotiating from the first day, I mean, would've something changed from this or not?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think leaving the brow, leaving my firm was the result of a fairly hardcore burnout that I think was the result of not being able to set boundaries properly. It's an extreme environment that I was in that really didn't match my personality, didn't match who I was. And if you combine that with not being terribly strong at setting boundaries through negotiation, right? I, I think the the, the result Kind of was was a very it was a very logical one um, one that I'm not happy with but ultimately that was yeah it was just a natural end for for that uh, kind of unhealthy setup so to say so I think if I had from day one negotiated not just my salary I mean that was a minor part it was it became a thing it definitely became a big part of the whole frustration because. By paying me less than my peers because I hadn't negotiated, they were in effect telling me that they didn't care so much about my work. Right? It's what I always say is your your salary is not just what they transfer to your bank account at the end of the month. It's very much an expression of the value that they hold for the work that you do. And so when they're paying you less than your peers, they're basically saying we don't care so much about you. Right? Mm-hmm. So it, there was definitely that issue, but it was also very much not being able to set those boundaries in terms of what was working for me what you know how i could do my best work and so i was working within the confines that had been set up for me by others that were were in their interest of course and so you those were in exactly, my interest
0: so you yeah. were exactly in this um situation that you described really often mm. that actually when women don't negotiate and when they are not paid enough like yeah. in the end they leave the company and for yeah. the company it's extremely expensive yeah it's like a big loss
1: yeah Exactly. And so I am yeah, I'm my own client basically. <laughs> I am definitely uh yeah, I mean all of the work that I do now is born out of my own experience. Both the negative one of what happens when good people are not in good circumstances, when they're not in the right environment basically for them, when there isn't a match between who they are and how they want to work and how they do their best work and yeah the, the the company or the organization that they work for and also i have i've had the the uh the positive uh, experience as well of when it happens when there is that beautiful match and when you are put in a place where you can do fantastic work and where you feel valued so i i've i've seen both sides of the equation basically or 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 better said both both extremes i've experienced and learned a ton from both of those
0: yeah because mm-hmm. after being a lawyer you mm-hmm. moved to asia, asia.
1: yeah Hong Kong and
0: yeah. uh, and there you joined this huge uh, company mm. Education First, mm-hmm. where you became head HR. of HR. Yeah. Uh, so first of all, how comes? Uh, yeah. You must have been really persuasive, first of all, to to move from lawyer to <laughs> HR. Um, yeah. What mm. did you learn there? You you
1: explained that this was like the milestone of negotiation for you. Um, it, I mean, it was a it was a big feat, right? Because I moved internationally or even intercontinentally if that's a word very different type of organization and very different role and then made a big jump in my salary which is obviously all of that combined was uh, was a pretty big yeah jump so to say and um, the reason for that i i'd love to say that is my awesome negotiation skills and there's definitely you know i was very focused on that part and i undoubtedly uh, did well there the other side though the reason why it worked was also that the organization that i started working for was open to people that had different backgrounds basically so what my then boss actually literally said to me he was he was also he'd been a lawyer himself so that was an interesting match that we had uh, which is probably the only reason why I, continue talking to him because I took him seriously because I knew what firm he was from. And I was I was like, we get each other. We really did get each other. But his his openness to me starting this, because I remember saying to him, dude, like, I am a lawyer. Why the heck would you, you know, why would you let me loose, right, in this HR uh, business? And he was like, well, you're smart enough. You get the culture. You'll be fine. And that was it. It was true. I am smart. I do know who to ask questions of basically and there was this cultural fit which is much more indicative of success in my experience than uh, what have you been studying exactly or right something. Yeah. yeah what's been your experience i mean 90 percent of the work that we do is transferable skills i mean it, or the, 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 the work that we do consists of transferable skills it really doesn't matter whether you have a background in you know, whatever it, it's communication skills, it's collaboration skills, it's all those kind of skills that, yeah, your background doesn't matter so much.
0: And why HR, actually, for you? Did you already want to, I would say, take care of people more? Because this is, exa- yeah. I, I, in the end, a bit what you're doing now. Yeah. You're taking care of how people are doing in their jobs. Yeah, uh, interesting one.
1: My, my first response when you were saying that was actually laughing to myself because... It was like, well, that's what they had on offer. You know, to some extent, that's that's the truth. But I think there's a lot of jobs that they may have had on offer that I would have very much said uh, no to. When it comes to HR, I, I wrote down as I was kind of trying to navigate this path, right, of, of exiting the firm that I was in and, and and finding my feet in. What do I want to do then, right? If, if not big law, then what, what else is out there for me? I had some help from a coach and... I don't remember much of that process, but I did find my notes recently. And in it, it said, I want to help people do their best work. God knows where that came from, but that's ultimately what HR is there to do. I feel that sometimes HR doesn't realize that that is their job, but truly, that is their job. That's maybe one of the most biggest problems yes. in yeah. most of the companies. So, yeah. I, well, that was, uh, and there was, so there was the HR bit, which was, exciting for me because it has to do with people, right, and and making them shine, which is something that I absolutely uh, love doing. And, and even back then, I didn't have any official experience in HR whatsoever. Uh, I'd done a little bit of recruitment activities for the firm because I was one of the few non-autistic uh, people in the firm, so I was okay to go out, basically, and talk about firm. So there was a little bit of that uh, recruitment, and there was definitely a bit of development that I was trying to do in the firm mentoring younger people and mentoring students and all of that but you were uh, were also developing
0: your coaching sessions
1: no no Uh, at the time I was simply um, the job that was on offer in in Hong Kong for HR right building HR was one part was the interest in HR the other part was that it didn't exist Mm -hmm. so I got to build something and I'm a builder I like building I really enjoy putting wheels in motion and making something happen, creating something I find incredibly uh, satisfying and fun. I'm not very good at keeping then, the train running. I'm not very good at continuously doing the same thing over and over again. But the building part there was exceptionally interesting to me. So when they said, go and do, I went and did. And I yeah enjoyed that process tremendously. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Yeah,
0: But I've heard that you were going all over Asia. To train people on how to negotiate? Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. No, so officially, that wasn't my job. That was like a side project. Yeah, Ah. so let me explain. I would travel a lot because I had, I think, 13? I can't remember. Terrible memory. I had many countries, Asian countries, right? Kind of under my wing, right? Where I was setting up this HR thing. So I was traveling to them extensively often. And part of the HR job was... We were called Recruitment and Employee Development. And I really loved the employee development, the training bit. And so the company that I used to work for did everything in-house. Weren't a big fan of hiring external people. That's an understatement. They just never did. So everything, like there was so much talent in-house. The idea was let our own people, you know, do their magic kind of. And so I thought to myself, what can I do? What can I teach people? And the one thing I knew more of than most people was negotiation, and so and because I'm obsessed with it, right? It was kind of combining. At the
0: time, you were still like reading a lot on the subject. You were, yeah.
1: I'm always developing myself, always reading. Ask my husband. I'm, I'm always reading, always learning, always. And so I was still very much doing that, but also my experiences seemed sufficient to, you know, I was a few steps ahead of sort of the general population, so to say. So I felt that that was a subject I could teach on. So I did. So this, this traveling, I combined this, right? Whenever I had meeting somewhere, I would literally, it was very simple, I would put a little poster up and say, you know, this afternoon, this and this time, this and this meeting room, I can teach you about negotiation. And these trainings were very popular. The reason not being me, the reason being the subject, right? Negotiation is something that is, I think, everybody naturally responds to and realizes how important it is in their in their personal lives in their professional lives and so these trainings were always um oversubscribed and were wonderful so i was doing that on the side and i'm saying on the side i mean it was officially a part of my job but it was really something that started in my own brain like I, it wasn't something that i anybody asked me to do i was just like yep i'll do you know this is a plan and so um yeah that was a ton of fun
0: in this situation, you kind of started thinking about what you can build. Mm. It was yeah. the,
1: the the origin, actually, of yeah. uh, Women in Negotiation. It very much was. The most important reason being that I had this weird experience where, regardless of where I was in the world running these trainings, both in Asia and in Europe, regardless of where I was, I always, at the end of each training, had a group of women that were asking me or telling me the same thing. Which is, I suck at negotiation. I really suck at this. And I realize how important it is. And I'm stuck, basically. So hearing them, you know, whether it was in Vietnam or whether it was in London or Stockholm, you know, places where we think of confident, young, you know, it didn't matter. Women across the world and also across generations, right? There was, It didn't matter whether they were VPs in our company well into their 50s or whether they were much younger, just at the start of their careers, they were all telling me the exact same message. And so I realized that that was something that required addressing, that that needed love and attention, so to say. And combining that with the fact that I've been born a feminist, it made a lot of sense for me to kind of dive into that subject. So what started happening was that I started reading even more about women and their negotiation Uh, propensity and their uh, struggles and everything and it turned out there's a ton of research on the subject why is it that women are so
0: bad in negotiation or feel so bad
1: (laughs) yes thank you for catching that because that is the thing right women are naturally better negotiators than men and the research bears this out as well. One of the fun things about negotiation research is that you can quantify the heck out of it, right? It's not like, oh, I felt I did better. Well, a lot of these studies that are done are simply with numbers, right? With money, like who pays what for what thing, right? So you can really it's quantify. an easy
0: way quantify it,
1: yeah. Exactly. You can quantify it and you can objectively say who won, so to say. And what comes out time and time again is that women are better negotiators, all the experts agree, negotiation experts agree on it as well. Women tend to be better. The reason for that is very clear. We're moving into a world of win-win outcomes, right? Where it's not no longer, Mr. Trump might disagree, but uh, who's the strongest here, right? Who who has the most power here? Negotiations these days in politics, in business, across the world are, are very much focused on how can we both get, you know, come out of this being better, right? How can we both benefit from this? And for that, you need collaboration. You need good communication. You need good empathy, listening, antenna, right? All those things. Those are the things that women are naturally better at than men. Why? Because we've been raised thinking about others first. We've been raised focusing much more on relationship building than boys boys are all about winning right who is the strongest who can run the farthest etc etc so if we're so good
0: at negotiation why are we not good when it comes to
1: salary and jobs because that's negotiating on your own behalf that's where women drop the ball right so i i have a ton of clients who come to me and say it's really terrible i negotiate professionally every day i'm great at it right? I can negotiate for others, I just can't do it for myself. And that's what we see time and time again, right? That's the problem for women. They can't negotiate for themselves. So asking for a higher salary, that's something for them. You know, any negotiation in their career, they feel like that's for them. And that's where they drop the ball, because it goes asking for yourself, goes directly against those things that we've been raised to do, right? Which is focusing on others, making sure that others are fine first, making sure that the relationship is preserved, that the group is okay, right? So then standing up and saying, I want this, I need this, give me this goes, you know, 180 degrees against what we've been taught to do as well. So that's why we struggle there and that's why that is, you know, a deeper process to to get women to negotiate well, to be very successful in these kinds of negotiations, goes much further than just teaching them negotiation skills in in bare sort of quick and dirty tips and tricks of this is what you say and this is how you say it right that doesn't work it's not enough you have to make sure they understand
0: do. the value that they have internally maybe or yes yeah.
1: they have to build this unshakable self-belief first if they don't do that then you know at the first sign of pressure or of um, a pushback right they'll just Go back and go, no, never mind. Ignore me, right? Didn't ask this. So you have to first work on the internal worth and the internal sense of this is important because you will get pushback. That's how business works, right? They're not going to say yes to everything that you ask for straight away. And if they do, you haven't asked for enough, simply. So you will get pushback and standing up to that or... Working with that and not then dropping out of the race, so to say, requires doing that internal work first.
0: Why is it important that women negotiate in companies?
1: (laughs) Because otherwise, oh, so many reasons. There's two reasons, right? Um, If we look at it from a purely kind of negative financial side, it's very expensive to lose women. It's very expensive to lose people. It's very expensive to lose good people. And I, I've done this uh, or shared these numbers uh, time and time again. It costs a company between 100 and 400 percent of somebody's annual salary to replace that person. Nobody ever does that research because it's it consists of a number of different different costs, so to say. Uh, you know, recruitment, finding the right person, onboarding them, training them—all of those are different costs. But then also, kind of more. Quiet one, so to say, where um, the downtime between, you know, one people person leaving and the other people uh, starting, a lost network, all of those sort of more difficult to quantify costs, or you know, line items on a on a PNL, right? Um, nobody ever adds that, but when you do, and there have been studies that have done that, um, it turns out that this cost, right, of people actively choosing to leave a company, right, is huge absolutely huge so it is beneficial for any company to reduce you know their level of attrition right or to better positively said to increase the level of retention for any person that you save uh, 100 to 400 percent of their salary i mean that's huge right and so that's one thing That's a negative, so to say, side of things. If we look at it more positively, that is something that I get very excited about. And that's something that I've only started seeing because of the work that I now do helping women to negotiate their careers. And that is that there is a ridiculous level of enthusiasm and passion and motivation and dedication and inspiration that is unleashed when a person... And I happen to work with women, right? This also obviously uh, applies to men... But when they feel valued, when they feel seen, when they have made the promotion, when they've heard the message, you were doing a kick-ass job, when they have gotten the 20, 30, 40, 50% salary increase, when they've started in a new job, right, in a new company, but at a much higher level, it tells them, you know, it's not just about the money, right? We said, we talked about this earlier. It's very much the message that that higher salary gives them, Or that the promotion gives them, right? Is like, we believe in you. We believe you can do it. And that inspiration that I then see unleashed in them, oh man, it it gives me goosebumps. Look at that. Like, honestly, I can talk about that for hours. That's just, it's something that I haven't managed to quantify yet. And this is an open invitation to any kind of students who want to work with me on that. I would love to be able to quantify what happens when exactly when you feel valued, when you feel seen, when you're put in a place where you can do your best work? Holy crap, it's it blows out of the water anything that you know, any increase in cost. It's amazing.
0: So, this is why women should care about being well paid.
1: Yes, yes, yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and I mean, we can talk about, I would say, <laughs> we can talk about, you know, you can you can buy more shoes and you can buy more handbags when you're making a ton more money. I feel very strongly about shoes and, and, and handbags. Um, so I, I, I think this is a great upside, right? To earning more money. But obviously, it's never the money. It's never about the money. That's not the reason why negotiating your salary, if you are underpaid, right? Why you should do that. The reason is that kind of sense of self-worth that is coming from feeling valued as expressed in that salary.
0: So how do you do? How do women do I know that you you have a really long training now you've been setting up so women in negotiation mm-hmm. your company mm-hmm. and I know that you take your clients for eight weeks right yeah. so it's really long training, I know and, yeah, and I, know I own it's your not ass so easy. in those
1: eight weeks <laughs> it is hardcore it's intensive yeah
0: but if if someone next to you really has a negotiation tomorrow and you have no time, if you have like mm-hmm. two advice three advices that you you can
1: give. Yeah, I always hate it when that happens. When somebody comes to me and says, "I have a big negotiation tomorrow. Uh, what can we do?" We can do a lot. I mean, my my best turnaround was uh, one of my clients who, forty eight hours after uh, working with me, got a hundred k euro salary increase, which was pretty magnificent. Um, <laughs> you know, quick and dirty. Let's yeah, let's, yeah. let's do it. However it it i mean obviously it's much better when you have more time and that's because it's very quick for me to to give a couple of ideas but they all involve work and that is simply because there is no shortcut i wish there was some kind of magic potion or some magical words that you could use and that would change everything but there aren't there isn't i i haven't found it and i've been studying this uh, this stuff for a very long time now so what i would say is don't do this thing where you have a negotiation tomorrow and you start thinking about it today do consciously mindfully, intentionally think about your career and where you want to take it and give this particular part of the journey the attention that it deserves I mean I sometimes draw the the comparison with women um, or people in general Right? we spend years and years and years in education Mm -hmm. and then we spend zero time on leveraging that Right, if, so I'm thinking
0: on where we go and why do we do these steps and
1: right. So we we spend all this time studying whatever particular brand of you know magic that we we do with it, whatever the subjects that we study. We do that for years and we add on MBAs and all kinds of fantastic stuff, and then we spend zero exactly zero time on making sure that other people, you know, see that and that we benefit from all those years of work. Anyway. So the quick and dirty tips that actually take a long time to implement. One thing that's incredibly, incredibly important is to prepare properly. And by that, I mean, know your data, know the facts, know what people in the industry should be making, know what your level of experience and skills, what, how that should be valued, not just in monetary terms, right? But also, are you going up for the right job? Right or is it below your level? You get very bored very quickly, and then everybody gets very unhappy very soon, right? So don't do that. So- Already, you
0: need to have a certain idea of
1: yourself. Yes. So preparation is key. The number of people I speak to that that simply say, "Oh, I'm just walking into the room. I'll just see what they've got to say, and then you know, I'll hope for the best." Unfreaking believable! Don't be that person, please. So that's one thing. Another thing is aim high. As women, we tend to aim less high than guys for the same type of job. So they've done this specific study where they asked students, they were given job descriptions and they were asked about their own background and then how they felt about these jobs, could they do them? And women and men felt equally able to kick ass in these roles. And then they asked them, what do you think you should get paid for that? And then the women on average said or expected between three and thirty-two percent less for those same roles that they thought they were equally capable of pulling off, right? No surprise. Ah, so we don't aim high enough. So that's that's we're undercutting ourselves or shooting ourselves in the foot right from the start, right? Uh, because if you don't see it, they're not gonna give it to you, right? You need to see it first, i.e. you need to aim high. You're not just, you know, given a higher number. And so, my big advice is to role play this. So, that's part, I guess, of preparation, right? But is to, to kind of fish your fears, so to say, desensitize to the stress, desensitize to the situation by role playing with your partner, with your colleague, with your bestie. It's practice practice. Just practice. Every minute that you spend on that is a minute well spent. Every hour that you spend on it, and you will, you should be spending hours and hours and hours and days and days and days on this, will pay itself out. I've never had one client, and again, I whipped them through like a very intensive program. I've never had one client that said, well, that was a waste of time. It's always the opposite. It's like, oh my goodness, I'm so grateful I've been doing this. I'm so grateful of all the hours that I've been practicing with you guys because... The results are magnificent, right? I, I also do a calculation often where I run people through the difference between being a negotiator and not being a negotiator in financial terms. Because we tend to think of it as um like, oh well it's a couple hundred, you know, dollars or francs or euros, whichever currency you use a month, or thousand maybe, but it's you know, it's no big deal. And then when you actually run through the calculation and add compound effect to it you realize it's between hundreds and thousands uh hundreds of thousands and millions of euros or francs or dollars more over the course of your career and that's another thing that i think helps in taking this seriously is that realization right it's the realization of this is a ton of money and so i i tell my clients if If I can promise you, if I can guarantee you that, you know, you work really hard for eight weeks, but at the end, there's a million euros for you, which for a lot of my clients is a very realistic number, right? Often it's a lot more than that. So I tell them at the end of the eight weeks, I can give you a bag of money. It's a million that's in there. Would you do it? I've never had anybody say, nah, I'm good for the million.
0: Yeah, I guess so. And these numbers, I guess, are not only in corporates because I know that you've been developing now, working for entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. uh, also setting up their price. And, and yeah. so, how do you do? How is it in the world of startups, of small companies? I mean, owners of companies,
1: mm-hmm. is it the same? Like, I don't have a ton of research on this. It's just that when you extrapolate, you know, that notion of we we expect to be paid between 3 and 32% less, right, to entrepreneurs as well, then you realize that probably, you know, it's a, it's a similar, it's, it's, a, it's a mindset thing, right? So that I don't think it really matters whether you have a corporate job or whether you're an entrepreneur. Anecdotally, I see that a lot of the women that I work with, entrepreneurs, and that I'm now obviously, you know, I work, don't just work with them, but I also, I have a lot of friends that are entrepreneurs, et cetera. Anecdotally, I can really yeah i I see the same. They tend to undersell their services massively, and what's fun about the entrepreneurial world is that you know even more so than with our friends in corporates entrepreneurs i mean the sky really is the limit <laughs> you know what i mean like the like for a job you know there's all there's always gonna be sort of a realistic range of what you can earn for a certain position at a certain level right or in a certain location whereas for entrepreneurs it it truly is. You know, whatever you make of it. And the the case, I would say, is maybe even more compelling for entrepreneurs than for women in corporate to do it because price and value are connected in people's heads. Meaning that if your services are priced too low, we literally think, can't be that good. Whereas if they're priced, you know, assertively, as I'd like to call it, right, we tend to assume oh, it must be really good right and so that's one of those tricks that uh, or tricks that that or sort of added reasons why as a female entrepreneur you should definitely not underprice your own items because you're losing more than just you know money mm-hmm. you are losing respect you're losing potentially clients another uh, benefit here that i see that I've noticed women entrepreneurs almost never realize until they start doing it and paying attention to it is that um, your clients, your customers become a ton more fun the more you charge. I can explain it, uh, but I think a lot of people... Do you talk with experience? Yes, absolutely. Very personal experience. This is just how it is. When I started off doing uh, the work that I now do and I offered a service for maybe a tenth or less of the price that I now charge for it, I'm not going to say these people were headache clients, but some of them definitely were, whereas I've not had a single headache client Mm -hmm. since I started charging what I do charge. Um, Because you
0: need commitment then. yes. Yes.
1: Yeah, but it's also people see me differently. They take me seriously. If I do anything, if I turn up at an event and I don't get paid for that appearance, I am treated differently than if I'm paid a ton of money they just treat me differently more respect they respect my time more they respect it. it's an interesting thing but there's a direct correlation between how much I charge and how I'm being treated and i'm lucky to say that uh, that kind of bad treatment so to say i haven't really experienced because the only places where i do do not charge are for events and organizations that are very close to my heart that I choose very consciously to do that for. And I choose that because I love them so much and they love me and, you know, there's Mm -hmm. like... Because there is a special connection. Exactly. So Mm -hmm. I'm in a lucky position that I do fabulous work with fabulous people only. I think in part precisely because I charge very seriously
0: yeah there is something else that's interesting me in uh, in this startup world Mm -hmm. is the fact that women tend to get less money from fundraising Mm -hmm. and to finance a startup
1: oh god yeah
0: i guess it's the same idea it's about negotiating and being able to be in front of people and really ask for the right amount of money selling yourself the right way
1: uh, there, There is that. Uh, there's definitely kind of a, a point of sort of women not even putting themselves in the arena because they don't quite realize the potential of it, I would say. I would, I'm very hesitant, though, to point fingers at women and I would very much like to call to the fore the, the, the biases that exist against women, right? So, you know, white men who tend to be you know, the ones with the funds to be handed out, right? Like to invest in people that look like them. Mm-hmm. And, you know.
0: Of course. I mean, this is the funny and paradoxical fact about like the startups world. It's like it's new, it's modern, it seems to be like, uh, uh free from all this, um, old world yeah uh, uh, free from all the Seems. Uh, it seem, yeah, but actually, <laughs> the money comes from the old world, yeah. from the conservative people, like these old white men, as you you're saying, yeah. so I'm wondering, actually, I fully understand that I hopefully you're doing your job, but isn't the problem like somewhere else like yes. isn't the way to solve this problem of course you you need to solve the daily life, like mm-hmm. the woman you have to help them in daily life, but doesn't the the solution lie in education?
1: Oh, there, there's many solutions. Education is always at the at the front, right, or at the at the start of, of all of this. Uh, I definitely uh, believe in educating people, sh- showing them, you know, their blind spots and uh, and the potential that they're missing out on. I'm very, I'm a big fan of making the business case for things. I'm a very principled person, but I find that uh, particularly in business that doesn't tend to do much, right? Whereas business cases, that's usually what uh, what companies and company owners uh, do uh, respond well too, which is for example why i'm quantifying where i'm so focused on quantifying the loss of good people right in the corporate world rather than just saying oh we should treat women equally and we should pay them equally that was the fair thing and the right thing to do that's absolutely true but i find that you get much further when you're actually talking you know real terms when you're talking about the financial impact so the same kind of Yeah. yeah exactly Another one of my favorite things is bring the data not the drama. And this is part of that, right? Uh, bring the data, bring the facts. Now, what's really interesting, though, about education and about bringing these facts, right, is that even when you do it, these biases are so, like, ingrained in ourselves, right, that they're kind of second nature, so that there's there's a lot to be said for, you know, I think it's called anti-bias trainings and, and kind of all this, you know, the educational part. And I do believe it makes a difference and yet there is i think only so much you can do so what i've always believed in is governments need to do their work right and it enact legislation that that calls for a fairer way of distributing funds and and you know opportunities basically company boards should do their work in really looking closely at their own business and you know are they being fair and you know are their procedures and, and set up basically is that um, uh, sort of helping to have an equal fair workplace but then at the same time so I'm not starting with the women of like you know women are somehow broken and they need to be fixed right there's something wrong with the women that we need to educate them on and at the same time that is the one thing that we can do Right, I am not a company board. I am not a government. Yes, but you know. your mother, I am. So I'm definitely doing this with my own girls yeah. uh, to my own detriment. I'd like to point out because these little monkeys are very strong negotiators another discussion but i feel very strongly about this that i don't want anybody like when i say women don't negotiate well for themselves i'm not saying that you know because i want any woman to think shit that's yet another mm-hmm. sorry for my language you know that's another thing i suck at right that's another thing i'm not good enough at or whatever it's simply that we have been raised a certain way and then we you know grow up in a world that is a certain way right i cannot influence company boards i do try by the way through consulting i i I am not a legislator so i cannot change that i can help individuals kind of make a difference in their own lives and my plan between you and i is to do this with enough women so that they create a wave of change right i see how my clients inspire their friends and their colleagues. I see how my Facebook group has this ripple effect where the women in there are talking to the people around them. And ultimately, the idea is world domination of the idea that you negotiate for yourself because I want it to also come internally from women themselves where they go, no longer. This is what I'm going to do, right? I am going to have this conversation because that's how. That's where I feel my particular place is. But I'm not saying that that's the only thing that should happen of course governments and company boards please do your work really universities
0: and schools and yeah for sure yeah we have already been talking 50 minutes but i still have some questions that are important in my Um, opinion i would like to speak first of all about network Mm -hmm. because you are working not only here in zurich i mean you've been working six years in zurich Mm -hmm. coming back to amsterdam Mm -hmm. and i guess that you have clients from all over the world yeah i'm wondering how do you do to kind of take care of your network like this, mm-hmm. uh, do you have some tips, something that from your experience that works? You are also a really good speaker. You have a storytelling that's really interesting. So yeah, do you have some feedbacks on
1: this? Well, thank you, first and foremost, for those lovely compliments. And it's really funny you're you're saying this because I don't feel I'm necessarily good at networking, at least in the classic sense of connecting with people over drinks and then looking over their shoulder to see who else is out there you know to speak to and give my card to i uh, often forget to bring my cards all together yeah. uh, business cards
0: it goes maybe with this um and there is a term that i really like which is sorority yeah.
1: this uh,
0: sisterhood yeah. way of thinking like yeah. you between women we have to help each other and this yeah. is the only way we are going to yeah reach the point where exactly I and i reach. and I think
1: so so the classic sort of idea of networking isn't really my style I should say I am very big on connecting people and connecting ideas I live for that and so for me the sisterhood as I refer to my group of clients as or the, the new term is the old girls network um, yeah. to to rival the old boys network which I feel really strongly about, is really because I see how it works for the boys, right? I see how the old boys network has um, gotten them very far. And so I'm like, we can do the same thing. Uh, So I I feel very strongly about that. And I think in part that is because my work with Lean In, the organization, um, that was once started by Sheryl Sandberg, the CEO of Facebook, who did a fantastic TED talk about All this. over the world, there yeah. is this organization. Exactly. Uh, so connecting so women. It's, yeah, it's all over the world. Uh, there are circles, as they're called, which is groups of women that come together every month or so to talk about, to help each other, basically. It's peer support uh, in, in their careers. And I've been blessed with a fantastic circle here in Switzerland that has really been life-changing for me, this group of women. And the network of Lean In has been pivotal for me. And when I look at that group, because I've acted as president for the last couple of years uh, of this organization here in Switzerland, it really is the connections, the individual in those circles, right? The friendships and the connections that are made in those circles that I've seen really propel people forward. And I've seen that, of course, in my own life. And it's something that I heavily rely on for my client group. Their success is in part because of the hard work that they do, right, the, the inner work that they do inside the program for themselves, the mindset work, and also the strategies and the techniques they learn, a large part is also the community. So confidence and competence in negotiation theory is is kind of leveraged through the community that we have started. And this is actually, I am now going a bit off piece here, but uh, for me, a big thing is that a lot of women who want my coaching go well you know I just want time with you I I don't need a group or I don't I don't really believe in this whole concept of group coaching and and I'm I'm always laughing internally when I hear that because I see every day how magnificent it is to have this group like it's it goes way beyond me it's much bigger than I am they this group what they do for each other just just knowing I'm not alone right just seeing Mm -hmm. rather than just me telling them well i've had a client who did xyz right seeing that other person and seeing in front of them how in week one they're a certain person and then how they develop and how they bloom and blossom and just kick freaking ass right just seeing it in front of them because they're a part of the group is much more powerful than me just telling them anything so that community ugh, oh, i can't begin to tell you how important it is for any woman i think to to surround themselves with like-minded individuals that lift them up, that support them. It's such a cliche, again, goosebumps. It's such a cliche, but we really are stronger together. And so not looking in the mirror and thinking that you have to do everything on your own, that you have to reinvent the wheel, that you have to figure everything out by yourself, but relying on this group and relying on help, support, mental, practical from others is... Being able to
0: say where you're not good enough to do it by yourself and just...
1: learn from others but also just take the inspiration from seeing others kick ass I mean it's 100% down to these women that I am able to do what I am in the way that I do it. Such a lucky bunny I am so lucky.
0: We were quickly speaking about your daughters Mm. what advice do you give to your daughters? What do you want to teach them? Be brave and kind Yeah. If you were a man for 24 hours what would you do?
1: (laughs) I'm not sure if that's appropriate to share here. Um, I'm not sure what I would do. I'd freaking revel in how easy everything was. I'd freaking love on that. Yeah, yeah. What are you afraid of? A lot of things. Um, Heights and spiders and all of the classics. I'm incredibly afraid of something happening to my loved ones. Yeah. And what are you proud of? Hmm... I'm very proud of my monkeys, of my girls. I'm very monkeys. proud. Uh yeah, my little monkeys. Um and and very proud of my what's now probably my third baby win my, my business. Yeah.
0: What means success, in your opinion? Success
1: is doing what you love in a way that works for you and having an impact.
0: What inspires you?
1: Ah, um I think the better question for me to ask is who inspires me, and now you probably want an answer, right? Damn it! So many people. I dug that grave for myself there. Um, I, I, I honestly, I'm I'm drawing a blank here because there's so many people that inspire me. It, it all the classics. It's all women. Um, there are men there as well, but it's a there's there's a large body of women who um, Michelle Obama, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Oprah Winfrey, Esther Perel that we talked about earlier there are a lot of, lot of women that have gone before us and done things as the first or one of the first in their community and phew, that power, yeah
0: and if you could invite one person to this podcast to speak someone from Switzerland
1: someone from Switzerland oh, to help you, who would I invite so many people there are so many wonderful women in this country. I'd love to give the floor to my client and friend Fungai Metler. Can you explain us why? She's awesome. <laughs> she really is, and I don't want to like diminish that by just uh, by just going. She's awesome. No, she's um, she is somebody who has overcome massive hardship in her life growing up uh, without parents making it in Switzerland on her own and now giving back to her community in the most incredible ways I find her incredibly inspirational
0: super nice thank Mm. you very much for the tip thank you very much Vise for taking the time and for telling us everything about your job job. I wish you very good starts again in Amsterdam
1: (laughs) thank you and thank you for having me here it's been a real real pleasure thank you
0: That's it. Our discussion is over. I hope you enjoyed it. To help me grow brillante, feel free to rate this podcast with five stars and share it around you with your friends, family or colleagues. It's precious. And don't forget, as V says, we are stronger together. A bientôt so brillante.